I am Planta on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Aaron Chapman joins me again. The best-selling and award-winning author has a new book out, Vancouver Vice, Crime and Spectacle in the City's West End. It's a lively, fascinating, and fast-paced look at a time and place in Vancouver that was volatile as the city and the world around it was changing rather dramatically. Aaron opens his book with the discovery of a body in Stanley Park near Lost Lagoon. It's May 1984, and from there he paints a colorful tale, taking the reader back to the past and forward to a changed Vancouver. By the uh, early 1970s, the West End was home to a gay population as well as sex workers. Comparisons to Greenwich Village in New York or uh, Castro Street in San Francisco were not only apt but sought. There was a lively music and club scene. And as uh, some of the people Aaron talks to, like Pamela Post or Doug Sarty, who uh, both grew up in the area, it wasn't as menacing as the media of the day might have portrayed it. But with uh, the sex trade flourishing and a turf war between some residents, it invited the ire of uh, the politicians and moralists, what with the crime increasing. The book does a good job of uh, telling the social, political, and cultural history of this place and time, as well as offer a hell of a good crime story. Yes, there's murders, deaths, and uh, the sort of crimes that a city's vice squad would pay attention to. Aaron Chapman is a writer, historian, and musician. He is the author of Vancouver After Dark, the wild history of a city's nightlife, winner of the uh, Bill Duthie Booksellers Choice Award in 2020, The Last Gang in Town, the uh, story of Vancouver's Clark Park Gang, Liquor, Lust, and the Law, the story of Vancouver's Penthouse Nightclub, and Live at the Commodore, a history of the Commodore Ballroom that also won a BC Book Prize in 2015. The book will be launched at the Penthouse Thursday evening, the 9th of December. Keep up to date on Twitter. His handle is at the Aaron Chapman. This new book is published by Arsenal Pulp Press. Please welcome back to the Plant Online program, Aaron Chapman. Mr. Chapman, good morning. Great to hear you, Joe. I wish I was with you in person, uh, and uh, but I guess we're still sort of in this world that we're we're still talking on the phone or, or the distance. So, but it's great to hear your voice. But I guess I, I can uh, see you um, at the um, at the penthouse on is it December sixth? December ninth. December ninth. Uh, pardon me. December ninth. Yeah, it was the book launch uh, party for Vancouver Vice. Yeah, and then yeah. Th- that looks like I'm looking at the comments on Facebook. That looks like it'll be a good turnout, won't it? Yeah, we're sort of returning to the scene of the crime, uh, if you will. We're going back uh, with, because my first book, Liquor Lesson Law, uh, of course, about the history of the penthouse, was there. And, and I wanted to do something in the West End, because the book is about the West End, it's yeah. a certain place and time, but uh, they're not all the places, all the, some of the clubs on the West End and bars aren't necessarily all open yet, or some of them are just, I've, I've noticed, open the last few nights, but um, after, you know, some of them, because of the rules with, with nightclubs, sure. them were closed, you know, so... Um, but it's uh, the the penthouse sort of figures into the book as well. There's inevitably inevitably the penthouse shows up in strange places, and and, uh, and this is one of them maybe. So, yeah. yeah, the penthouse is a history of Vancouver in a way. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, but, but before we get, get into Vancouver, voice, you also do voice work, voiceover work. I is do. Right? I've been yeah. doing uh, some. Oddly enough, I, I, I've been when when the pandemic hit. Um, I uh, I've been doing a little bit of voiceover work before um, on cartoons. And I guess because my voice is lower, I always get the bad guy part. I always get the evil, <laughs> and, and they're they're more fun to play anyway. Yeah. So, I, um, excuse me. I've been doing. Uh, I've been working on a few different uh, cartoons and anime, and usually it's it's stuff Japanese cartoons or Korean uh, 
uh-huh. South Korean cartoons that are being dubbed uh, into English for the English language market here, and they do a fair bit of that work here in Vancouver. I see. Um, and I've just um, there's a uh, some people are in the anime world are fairly familiar with Studio Ghibli, and that's uh, Hayao Miyazaki's uh, famous Japanese director. Uh-huh. Uh, of, of animation and, and creator of animation, he's probably I guess he's somewhat the Steven Spielberg or the Stanley Kubrick of that world. Yeah. And um, there's a, his first directorial uh, cartoon, which was called Future Boy Conan. An odd title, but it's uh-huh. called Future Boy Conan, which he did in 1978, is just being released for the rest of the world now. Um, and I'm part of the new English language dub. I play Captain Dice in that in that show. And it just got released uh, in, in here in, in November. Um, and uh, and it's, uh, it, it, it was pretty fun. So I, it was very strange. I'd been doing a little bit of that work beforehand, but when the pandemic hit and a few other things I'd been doing, or I, I couldn't do any book readings or uh-huh. book events, uh, I suddenly find myself uh, making it through the pandemic as a, as a working voice actor. Uh, I, and I ended up doing 26 episodes on that show. So it was great fun to do because the character in the show, Captain Dice, does a lot of yelling and uh-huh. barking orders. So... It was a great stress relief to go down to the studio a couple times a week and yell at the top of my lungs and bark and sort of belly laugh for two hours. I, I kind of come out kind of drained from it all, but it yeah. was a great sort of emotional exercise during that time. Yeah. Uh, so you, did you spend a lot of the the, the, uh, the time at home alone, say, uh, writing this book? I did, yeah. I mean, the, the, the idea, I knew I was going to do the book um, mm. before it, it happened, and, and I had been working a couple years on some research before it hit, but I, and I, but I didn't necessarily, in the wake of Vancouver After Dark, my last book, I, I didn't anticipate working on a book so soon. I thought I'd maybe leave a little bit of time, but when it happened, I thought to myself, well, if the world's going to be shut down here for a while, which I thought might be only four or six months yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. in the beginning, I thought, I guess I'll get started on a, on a new book and, and you make use of the time. But I didn't know necessarily uh, that it would have gone that long or I would have spent the whole, you know, kind of much of it working on the... Yeah. Working on the but but the, the nice benefit was is that everybody was home, right? Trying to reach people or do an interview with them. Uh, it wasn't as though well he's at work right now or he's on a he's on a job elsewhere or he's on a holiday. Everybody was as soon as you called somebody, uh, you know that was the person that picked up. There was everybody was available, yeah. uh, so that helped uh, in many ways trying to track people down. You, you do such a marvelous thing, not, not only in this book, but your previous ones, where, where you, you tell us about a specific uh, place um, uh, or, a, or specific people, say, and in this case, you start off with a murder um, or the, the finding of a dead body in 1984. And then as, as the lens widens, if you will, we, we get a history of the place. And then from uh, a, a specific neighborhood in Vancouver, the West End, we get a view of the city at the time. And then it, it's just delicious to, to compare and contrast um, that time to today, and um, which is what makes makes Vancouver Vice such a compelling read. Um, how did you get to finding, say, these two characters, Wayne Harris and Hal Keller? How, how did you uh, did you know about them at the time? Did, did you find them out in, in retrospect? Say, um, well, thanks. You know, thanks very much, Joe. I, 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 that's so well put. That widening of the lens, uh, as, you, as you as you mentioned there, that that was certainly an idea in the book. Um, or what I wanted to do um, with it. it. The book is it's a weird genesis to it. It started. It, it actually sort of was an outcropping of, a, of an earlier book I did called "The Last Gang in Town." Oh yeah, in the it's about the east side of Vancouver. And one of the police officers that has a cameo in that book, a guy by the name of Al Robson, mm. who figures in much highly in this one. Yeah. When when that book came out, 
Um, now Al's a, a lovable character. He's a garrulous uh, guy. I, I joke with him that might have been the first book he read in, in 20 years. Uh, <laughs> but when that, when it came out, he he contacted me. He said, "Hey, I like I like the book. You know, I thought you told the story fairly. I could tell you some more stories if you like." And um, so I met up with him in, in person this time. Before I just talked to him on the phone, um, and I and oh, several times. But I went up to he lives in town, mm-hmm. out, the, out the suburbs. So I went out to visit him, and he, amongst many different things, he talked about this. What essentially is is the story in Vancouver Vice, he and his partner were sort of seconded to the West End and happened upon this investigation. And, and that was the first time that I had heard about Wayne, Wayne Harris and Hal Keller. The interesting thing is, is once I started, the, 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 the story that he told me was so unbelievably fascinating to me. It's so shocking in a way. It didn't sound like Vancouver. Yeah. It sounded like somewhere, in, you know, it, it, you know, uh, you know, the, the Los Angeles yeah, the 70s, yeah. or, or, you know, for the Times Square in New York or something. It, it felt like a completely different, sort of a completely different world. And it got me thinking on a couple of different things. As I started to do the research and started interviewing some, especially some of the older gay residents of the West End, everybody remembered Wayne Harris. He was a very well-known figure amongst the, that sort of uh, group in that neighborhood. Um, and it got me thinking in particular about the West End, um, during that time, now I was a kid during those years in the late 70s and, and early 80s here in town, mm-hmm. and I was living up in Caresdale. I, I wasn't down the West End, but the news of, of what was happening in the West End during those years and how turbulent uh, it was was on the news every night. I remember yeah. that very, very clearly. And it got me thinking that if you, you know, if you've lived in Vancouver for the last 20, probably 30 years, actually, you would have no concept that the West End did have that, that period, that, that sort of turbulent period. And when I started getting into some of the statistics that there were more murders in the West End in 1982 than there were in the downtown east side, and some of the crime statistics that were happening, and, and also some of the story, it, it, it got me thinking that, the, that telling this story about um, specifically about this police investigation, but using it to sort of explain what was happening in the neighborhood at the time, um, sort of created this unique story, maybe, that I could tell. Yeah. And it, that's, that's sort of how it, came, it all came about. So I, I was going to talk about Keller and Harris, but I, I think people should read the book to, to find out who they were and, and right. uh, what happened to them at the end. But I'll, So I'll touch on some aspects of it, but yeah. try not to give th- things away. But what you, you talked about um, how the West End was portrayed in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, you interviewed Pamela Post and, and Doug Sarty in, in the book, and, and mm-hmm. they grew up in, in the neighborhood. And, and yeah. so their experience was, was a lot different, say, than, than how the, the, the press of the day portrayed it, right? Well, it's interesting. You know, it really it largely depends in, in the West End during those years. And we're, and we're, we're focusing on basically roughly 1977 to 1984 um, or just just before Expo mm-hmm. um, in, in, this, in this time period. And it largely depends on, on who you were and where you lived. I mean, sure. I know lots of people yeah. who uh, lived in the West End and had no problem, you know, sort of lived blithely by all the problems. And other people, who, depending on if you lived on a corner where it was being used by some of the uh, of people, it could be often a noisy fair, you know, or, or a very sort of, you know, there there would be the neighborhood was considered. It's interesting. It's interesting when, you, when looking back on this because, yeah. as I was joke with a friend yesterday, you know, uh, the book sort of covers a time when there was a Trudeau in office. <clears throat> there was uh, Vancouverites had believed that the police had lost control of neighborhoods. Um, there was a strange virus emerging that mm-hmm. people didn't necessarily know how to get it. So, in many ways, it's more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah, exactly. Not that, that it's, it's a bit reductive to, to compare COVID to AIDS or something. No, no, right, right. But um, 
it's an interesting it's an interesting time because you know there were there were and it all, sometimes it depends if we were male male or female. Mm. You know, many many women at the time who lived in the area very much remember you know walking to the store somebody would you know drive by and say are you are you walking or working yeah and and you know a lot of the neighbor a lot of women in the neighborhood began to who weren't sex trade workers began to feel harassed and there's been a sort of a, a reimagining I felt there's been a, a little bit of a reimagining of history over that subject it's interesting. With the with the sex workers memorial that's just off Jervis uh, uh-huh. Street in, in Vancouver, that's really the only that and and some of the old street barricades that are you know now turned into little parks yeah. are really the only signs or uh, something that refers to that period in the neighborhood. Yeah. And as I say, if you lived in Vancouver, you just moved here, you would have no idea that that the West End had that really turbulent time uh, in it. And it's been looked at a number of different ways. You know, the, it, of course. There are many people who were supportive of the sex trade workers that felt they got pushed out yeah. uh, with the injunction that happened in 1984. I'm getting a little bit ahead of the story here, I guess. But um, at the same time, there's sometimes uh, uh, ignoring some of the finer details of what, are the, what was happening in the neighborhood and some of the problems. People still take sides on, on whether uh, on that issue, and it's still a sensitive issue to some people. But what I try to do in the book is sort of explain it from another angle and, yeah. and uh that i hope that i don't think has been done before yeah someone someone who who uh, uh has as uh, a part in the book if you will you, you interview him paul dixon uh, a former mm-hmm. taxi driver yeah um he gives such a, a marvelous uh, uh sense of the the, the flavor of the, yes. the the life and and um f- from his uh purview you know looking through the the, uh, the rearview mirror if you will literally yeah. with the, with the people in the back and and what the city was like it it uh, it's easy to get nostalgic and think it it, it was uh, fun, even. Sure, yeah, yeah, and, and and often you know some of it was you know as as uh, you know Davy Street in those years was was a pretty wild and and you know it could be there was sort of a, 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 obviously a celebratory aspect of it. There were some nights, boy, it looked like there was there'd be a real party going on down there, yeah. you know, and whether you whether you want whether you were invited or not. Uh, but um, you know, it's interesting when you when you do. T- Sometimes when you the, the when the history of these of this thing these stuff like this is dealt with, the you know we talk to the sociologists, we talk to the uh, the criminologists and stuff like that, but you lose something in between. But you know, talking to somebody like a cab driver who worked back then, you get a whole other perspective of, of what you know that and, and and history of what that what that was. Um, so I tried to interview a number of different people from a, from various different walks of life and people who are part of the gay community, people who are police. People who were just residents, kids, people who would have been kids in the neighborhood back then, you know, and, and to try and get something more of an accurate uh, concept of what it was like, because it's sometimes if you just look at the statistics as well, you yeah. lose the fact that, you know, of course the West End was still a place where there were family, you know, families living there. It wasn't, the, you know, it wasn't the South Bronx or anything like that, or yeah, yeah. the Tenderloin, you know, or anything like that. But there was a significant, um, there was a significant crime issue that had grown, and the West End had changed. From you know the hip, you know sort of Pacific winds coastal mm-hmm. uh, neighborhood, and and uh, uh, for what would have been yuppies, you know of the of the area of the 1960s, it changed in the 1970s, and and uh, and I think sometimes we've forgotten you know that that period and what uh, how turbulent it was at that time. Yeah. Uh, no matter what side you're on, exactly. Uh, uh, but that I thought that was that was interesting, an interesting time to explore it. Um, you know, all these years later, and and uh, the gift of your book is is the the sense of perspective that one gets because I mean I, I can go to the the newspapers of, of the day, 
and look up stuff. Um, uh, but you really do need that perspective. I go on YouTube and say, watch old Webster shows from, from BCTV. Sure. And, you know, I, I see the panic about drugs in, in the West End, or I see, yeah. uh, you know, his crusade against sex trade, uh, the, the sex trade, or um, uh, you mentioned this in the book, you know, the, the, there was a time there where there were snipers shooting at people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you, see, you do need that, that sort of wide view, if you will, or the, the, the passage of time to, to sort sure. of put all these things in perspective, yeah. right? Of course, and it wasn't as though these things were happening every day, or mm-hmm. there were there were you know assaults or these drug busts every day. But they were they were significant, and and uh, you know the West End really was it was a real interesting time uh, for the city in general back then. And I, well, I try to make the case that these were some of the wildest years that the city had ever had because with not only within what was happening in the West End, you've also got in 1981 the Clifford Olson murder. Mm. Uh, I remember that summer quite well. The panic that was, even though that that was sort of happening in outside the city, in, in, in Coquitlam and some of the suburbs sort sure. of centered out there, they still cast a panic through the rest yeah. of the town that, you know, the, the, you know, the West End or the West Side or downtown, we, we were next, or there was going to be a victim then. We also had the Squamish Five, right? you know, like in those years. So just, it, 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 as I try and sort of say in the, in, in the beginning of the book, it, it, it feels like we sort of sowed our wild oats and got, it, went, it was so crazy at, just before Expo. Yeah. Uh, when the city arguably sort of was cleaned up and prepared to for this party that we had invited the world for, those years previous were quite were quite something in terms of uh, and how wild they got. Speaking of newspaper clippings, you you uh, uh, talk about a story that Marcus G, who, who we now read in the Globe and Mail, I guess he was fresh out of, of school and and he uh, was at the province, and That's right. so he writes a story and, and he's alleging what in that. Well, that's an interesting thing. Uh, but G, who of course is a, a columnist of the Global Mail, I was think it was first year out of journalism class, or he was still in summer session. I think he, he, that he would sometimes they would, uh, as, a, as a journalism student, you could pick up as a stringer for as a crime reporter. Mm-hmm. And he happens to go out with uh, Gord Bader and Al Robson, who are the two main police officers that I sort of focus on uh, because they're initially the guys that sort of stumble across um, the initial threads of this. Uh, investigation in the West End that sort of widens and, and carries on for a few years. Um, but G is in a ride-along with uh, Robson and, and Bader, and uh, uh, you know, Robson tells him, look, before you publish anything, you can let, kind of let me know what's in your article. I'd mm-hmm. appreciate it. And uh, apparently G did not do this. When I asked him about that, he said he couldn't remember. Uh, but uh, when the article hit in August of 1977, uh, it really created a furor. It, it, it talked about uh, how there were over 200 young male prostitutes uh, working in the, downtown, in, the, in the West End, in the downtown West End area, and uh, it, uh, you know, it became a huge deal uh, in, the, in, the, in the news that week. Now, the story. What's interesting is, if, especially if you look at uh, look at the newspapers at the time. It, it's a it, you know, the, as soon as the story is released, the uh, you know the mayor is, is asked about it, and mm-hmm. he's put on the spot. Bader and, Rob, Bader and Robson are called in to the carpet to say, "Where, where did you get these numbers? We didn't have any anything like this." Yeah. And uh, and that causes, you know, okay, if you guys think this is what the case, you go look and check and see. You know, they're sort of tasked to investigate this further. Um, no one had really commented on, and it's interesting in the history of the West End in that era of, of sex trade workers, while the women and even the the many of the the transgendered sex workers are spotlighted more than the 
some of the male sex workers, and, uh-huh. and these were these were teenagers in many cases, um, runaways and pushouts, you know, that, that uh, sort of found themselves working the streets. And uh, that article caused a real storm, and then gets picked up uh, by some of the Western chain newspapers. Mm. So pretty soon, the story is in the summer of '77. There's, you know, anybody reading about Vancouver just I'm sure people in Calgary and Edmonton or, or uh, you know, anywhere reading these the, the articles that came out just gave thought another reason that, boy, Vancouver is this uh, den of inequity out there. Yeah. Um, so that, start, that in many ways starts uh, uh, an, an annex phase of what, what was happening and the, it's something that the police were already started investigating and trying to get a, a, a handle on. Yeah, and then so this tie, you, you uh, draw the line, I guess, to Keller and Harris. Uh, as we move in th- through the book, don't you? In, yeah, in terms yeah. Of the connection it, it, there. It, uh, Bader and Robson had been investigating uh, a guy by the name of Wayne Harris, who was a uh, who was a pimp uh, mm-hmm. operating in Vancouver. He was a um, and his name come comes up early, and then because they get sort of tied to other people, they start a wiretap investigation on Harris's phone. That uh, and that leads them to a guy by the name of Hal Keller. Mm. Now, Keller was well-known in town. Uh, he was the operator of the old u frame it stores. Uh, there used to be so many of them in the 80s, mm. uh, 70s and 80s in Vancouver. And he started off small with just one, but he ended up sort of franchising 14 or 15 stores across northern Canada and the United States and into Hawaii. Um, it was a huge business. Um, and just about everybody at the time, you know, had a poster, went down to u frame it to get, you know, and, and, and it was a... It was a good. It was a good business, mm-hmm. um, and he made uh, a significant amount of money. But um, he had a taste uh, for the young boys. It seems. It seems well known to many of his friends that I had uh, spoke to. In fact, uh, this came out in a, in a later trial that he was some of the young men he was meeting. He was giving jobs to uh, at some of his stores. Mm-hmm. But um, in the. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, Secrets of the book, or, or 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 spoilers, I should say. But uh, when when uh, Keller is 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 found dead, uh, that springs into another sort of phase of the book, where you know was he was he murdered? What was it a suicide? Was it silenced? You know, and and, and whatnot. So it's um, <clears throat> Keller. He remains an interesting figure um, because uh, uh, of, of, of what happened to him. But and yeah. the police were sort of you know, getting closer to him. Um, but there were so many figures like this. There, that, that um, a few other names, and some names I couldn't, uh, I couldn't print uh, yeah. probably in the book. Yeah. Uh, some names that came up that some, that were there were suggestions over the wiretap, or, or some people's names came up, or, or called in to Harris uh, to, to, you know, to get get his services or, or, or have him make the introductions. Yeah, so like it, famous it, it, people too, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and, you know, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. There was notoriously a, uh, uh, you know, Sven Robinson was was, and Sven talks about this in his book, mm-hmm. um, that he was targeted, and in the end, Sven had nothing to do with it. And his his story is very believable. I, right. I talked about that. But there were some other. There was this, in the later phase of the book, it talks about how there was this. There were some Canadian politicians accused of being a part of this, mm-hmm. and some of this investigation is tainted by a an LAPD officer's uh, work who was in connection with something that was happening stateside. But uh, it's an interesting, to, I, not to give away all the spoilers of the book, but what happens is what you realize is how the nature of a police investigation sometimes goes. And when certain there are certain dead ends, there are just dead ends. 
and it, sometimes there was a reluctance, it seems, at the, at the top, uh, maybe not necessarily from the police that were investigating, but oftentimes the Crown, who thought, look, we can't, we really can't, you know, uh, make a make a decent prosecution of this. There's just not the same um, thing, or, 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 you know, a conspiracy case could be sometimes hard to prove. Yeah, um, yeah. But what happens is, is there's, a, there's a certain legacy. I think when you read the book, people will read it and hope and realize there were some people who got away with uh, murder or not murder, you know, yeah, or yeah. Got, got away with the crime. And, and uh, unfortunately, thanks to the way that police records are handled over a generation or two, mm. um, when it doesn't result in a conviction, they throw some of this stuff away. Um, and people might be shocked to hear that. Or yeah, people yeah. often say, geez, the police must have my name on file somewhere. Well, they might have it for a few years, but they delete records and they delete things that don't end up uh, making its way to a, uh, a conviction. Now, yeah. today, in the, we're talking about in the years that there used to be warehouses, right. records and paperwork and stuff like that. Nowadays, of course, so much stuff just is going to end up on a hard drive, and maybe those records have, are being kept longer now. Yeah. But it's uh, it's an interesting other facet. And, and somebody who's a historian and likes to get into the archives or something, when something is deleted and lost, it's uh, you sort of wince and think, oh gosh, what 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 could have been still discovered, or what yeah. what had somebody, if somebody wanted to revisit this investigation or look at some of the people who did get away, uh, could anything be enacted? You know, and when you realize that there's been stuff that's been tossed away that and deleted, and just in the natural purging uh, of records that, that, that the police do, it's it's a it's a kind of a surprising thing. Yeah, that's a, the frustrating thing. As I was reading Vancouver Vice. Was you, you talk about say uh, trying to find say legal records from a lawyer or police records mm. from an investigation yeah. and they were just expunged they were gone. Um, this came up a couple weeks ago with the um, uh, Justin McElroy's piece on the Inglesey Lodge fire. Right. Um, that 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 was unsolved, if you will. Yeah. And yeah. he tried to find records and there, there was nothing on that. Yeah, and it's uh, you know the way the, the Vancouver Fire and Rescue handles their records, mm -hmm. um, and the way the police, the Vancouver Police Department have the two very different things. And there's also this thing in, in Canada that we have, which is the real stress on privacy. Mm. Um, you know, John Belshaw, uh, the author of Vancouver Noir, I remember joking, saying, if you're looking for photos of a crime scene, let's say of somebody who jumped off a building or was thrown off a building, well, if they land face down, you'll probably be able to get it. But if they land face up, where you may recognize them, yeah. or the person can be seen, uh, that's a privacy issue, you know. And, and I encountered that. I, I, I'd done a numerous, uh, um, you know, freedom of information um, requests with the VPD, and they denied me on the first, on a couple of things, and I, I appealed, and I did get some. But I, I get into the awkward. Sometimes I, I get into the awkward situation with some of the books that I've written. I would have to do with police where. Because I've spoken to the investigating officers, and some of them have copies mm. of the materials. Yeah. They're showing me what's in the file. So when I make an official request, I'm asking for something I know that's there. That Sometimes the police departments are kind of confused. How do you know what's in the file and what to ask, <laughs> what to ask for? I, I, I think I have pretty good access to the retired police community uh, in Vancouver, and I've been fortunate enough to sort of build that up yeah. and build some trust with with. Uh, Certain, you know, specific, probably specific people, but overall, especially after Last Gang in Town came out, a lot of uh, that was pretty. It, that was that was kind of a funny thing because the, the Christmas that came out, that I heard from all the old, some of the old gang members, or you know, that hey, everybody, 
every Hell's Angel got your book for Christmas, and they all enjoyed it. <laughs> and then I heard from some of the retired police, and they said, hey, every retired cop got your book for Christmas, and they enjoyed it. So I thought somehow I managed to get the Titanic through the ice field on yeah, that one. Yeah. But uh, um, I, I think that sort of built up some trust with people that I was going to just basically tell the story fairly and, and not... Um, you know, in a way, not tip my hand either way to which exactly which group that I yeah. found favoring because, I, in many ways, I found them the same in yeah. some areas. You know, like they were the, they were just as rough and tumble. Um, but uh, I think if you, if you, one of the things in getting sort of and, and I was fortunate enough to get some leaked documents and some uh-huh. photographs that I normally would be able to access or, or, or information or be able to review some material um, that I wasn't able to normal that the average citizen probably wouldn't have access to. Um, you know that 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 helps, and that that's something that that kind of builds up over time in terms of trust. If, some, if somebody's going to show you, whether they're active police or they're they're retired and they have some stuff on file, or they have in in, in one certainly in the case of, of Gord Bader, um, and this isn't something that, that he had uh, anything any secrets on. He kept his old notebooks, mm. um, you know, and the notebooks are the kind of you know just the, you sometimes see police writing down something in a little pad, you know, sure, yeah, and for a chest pocket. He kept all those over the years. So he could go through, and if I, if I could call him up and say, "Gord, do you remember what date this happened?" He goes, "Give me a few minutes," and he'd call me back, and he'd find the date, or he could, you know, and he'd even be able to tell you what the weather was that day uh, because he had made those notes, or he could talk about what, what arrests he made. So that helped, you know, you're, when you're talking about something that happened 40 years ago, um, if you can find some sources like that or people that can get you through the the fog, uh, through the go through the lens of of, of all of it, it, it certainly helps. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate, even while, while some of the records of all this is destroyed, and, you know, there are probably no police today who are aware um, or of these investigations that happened because they are so old. Um, I'm fortunate enough that there are many sort of living people, uh, yeah. whether it's Jim Maitland or Al Robson or Ward Bader, at least within the police department, as well as a lot of people, members of the of the. Uh, of the gay community in mm-hmm. town who remember Harris personally, uh, remember, you know, worked in some of the clubs that he used to come into. And, and that sort of helped build a picture of, of who this guy was. And, you know, and also uh, hopefully, um, you know, contradict some of the, the, the standing opinion in, in Vancouver at the time during those years amongst sex trade workers that there were no pimps. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's been sort of purported then. And, and there were many men and women that operated independently, of course, but not everyone. And, uh, you know, and, and so this, he was one of these sort of nefarious figures that was that was in the West End underworld uh, at that time. And that, I know even that phrase, West End underworld, feel, feels foreign sure. to us because you think of Davy Street and the West End underworld. There wasn't even one underworld. How could there be, you know? But again, this was a different time in the city. And, and, uh, and, and it's important, I think, it's interesting to look back all these years later, you know, of, of, of what that what was happening then, not just in the West End, but the city as a whole. Indeed. Um, you like a good mystery and, and perhaps solving one. How do you restrain yourself from not saying what you really think in the book? <laughs> well, there's probably, there's probably my publisher, but it's some brain <laughs> on me. To, I mean, certainly, I'll let you know a little secret. I haven't told anybody yet that, that uh, with the first draft, of the book, I mean, Arsenal Press said, "Look, we're worried there might we might face some litigation from from what you what you purported here." And, and I, I felt had I had the documents to, to back it up and mm-hmm. not to say things. But uh, I, I also I'm not looking to to charge headlong into 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 the courts for you know or like that. So, yeah. it, it, to a certain extent, you know that um, uh, you have to sort of navigate your way through things, and and you also don't want just. There is something to be said that sometimes that there's an, there was an unfortunate thing at the time as well, that the police, the attitude of, of 
Vancouver police at the time wasn't exactly, um, or there was certainly an element of homophobia going on. Yeah, it wasn't so, woke, if you will. Yeah, there, there was a <clears throat> there was an attitude that uh, you know let's let's say that the, the police were doing an investigation on um, you know on these uh, people who were involved in child exploitation. And the people that involved in this were happy to be having a party. And you and I got invited to the party. That we just dropped it. So we just knew these people socially. We had no idea what they were up to and behind closed doors. Well, all of a sudden, our names would get tainted, you know, because they thought we were up to, you know, we would be up to something. Unfortunately, there was a little bit of that. There was that that, that you can tell, and that so it was a. This was also a very poor time for relations between the gay community and the Vancouver Police Department, um, because they gay community felt they were really being targeted in many areas. Um, and harassed, uh, and there's a case can be made for that. There was certainly, you know, there evidence of, of that happening. Now, not that doesn't mean every officer was doing it. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. if one officer does it, then it becomes a problem, uh, of course. And uh, so this was a, a real nadir for uh, relations between both sides in that area. And you know, there are many people who, now who might say we're we're going back in those ways. You know, with, with the uh, Vancouver Police Department being sort of banned from the gay pride parade. Mm-hmm. You know that. By the, by the 1980s, the people who were in the gay community who had fought so hard for better relations would probably be shocked to find out years later that would that would that would happen. Um, and there's you know there's two sides to everything on, the, on that. So it's interesting uh, it's interesting maybe what we're going back to or, or, or how things are changing maybe not for the better um, um, with with some things. Yeah. But overall, I think you know it's it's um, I, I I tried to what I tried to put in the book was was uh, to suggest and. and Explain that yes, some people did get away with things, um, and maybe that's maybe there will be something revealed from that later. I, I, yeah. I hope that maybe some of this might stir up some interest to um, maybe properly investigate some of this years later because there were people, um, there were people who were never arrested who were part of this organization and part of this what was an organized group of people involved in this. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe there's something that could still that, that might still unfold from from all this, especially now that. Um, with the book coming out and tying a lot of this together, I mean, it was interesting that excuse me that uh, uh, you know when I when I showed some of the material uh, to Gord Bader, uh, one of the police officers in the book, he said, "Gee, there, you're you're a better detective than I was on some of this <laughs> stuff. You found out some stuff that I never." And yeah. I joked with him. I said, "Well, I've got I've had the benefit of 40 years later to, mm. to, to find some of this material, but and connect some of the dots." Um, but uh, it's uh, I appreciated the compliment, but. Yeah. It'll be. Uh, it'll, I think. I think readers will will, will be surprised and, and shocked to find out some things that are that, that, that were happening in the city, um, and, uh, and 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 where that might lead, or, or where what it says about the world then and, and, and the world now. My my father's uh, former doctor has a cameo in the yes. book, and I think we talked about this privately uh, we, at one we time. Did, yeah, yeah, when I was doing the research. Yeah. Um, I had no idea, of obviously, what what the connection was, but um, he um, he was one of the first, I guess, Filipino doctors in Vancouver, right. and so a lot of F- Filipinos, obviously, had gone to him as as their physician. Mm-hmm. And I met him once. I went to his house with my aunt because his wife, I guess, sold ceramics, right. and um, so I saw him one time in, in the in the garage or the basement or wherever it was. And of course, I obviously knew who he was because he was, uh, you know, a prominent member of the community. And then that that as we read in the book, um, <laughs> that sort of that career ends, and <laughs> yeah. um, rather dramatically, yeah, had, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. He had some he had some strange connections. Uh, uh, I think his, his license was revoked when he was prescribing uh, cocaine. 
Yeah, to people and, yeah. and basically selling prescriptions uh, yeah. to people. But uh, he ended up, uh, I guess he had a place in Bellingham, too, which is um, then used by one of the crime figures in the book in the hideaway for a right. while. So, so some of these people who were, who were you know, it, while the book sort of focuses on a lot of street level uh, people, there's some interesting connections of some, you know, some uh, more white collar people who strangely show up. And in many cases, not a white collar, a priest collar. You know, yeah, shows up in yeah that's right. So, Priest from St. Um, Patrick's uh, on Main and 12th yeah. there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's next for you? You're always working on something else. Are you working on another book now? Uh, I'm probably, uh, I'm just sort of looking at a couple different things now. I'm, I'm, there's, a, there's a book in um, that has in England that uh, I may have, well, I know I'm going to be taking on uh, there, so I might have to go over there for a little bit. Um, and that's, a, that's more of a music-related uh, book. I'm going to get a, get away from the from the from the crime alleyways <laughs> for for a little bit, just for a breath of fresh air. Yeah. And um, and I'm working on. Uh, uh, it's been a bit of a sort of a long term project over the last year of uh, uh, redoing an, an Orson Welles uh, radio play series that he did in 1952 uh, called The Limes of Harry Lime, where he plays the character of Harry Lime that he played as a third man um, for this uh, sort of fun. Radio series and and basically redoing the series with a couple of slight updates um, to uh, with some local talent in town. Uh, oh man, I can't wait! For, I love the Third Man. That is yeah. one of my favorite movies. Yeah, oh, and I and uh, I, I love Wells, obviously. Yeah. Um, oh, I can't wait for that. Yeah. So I'm I, I've uh, I'm I'm, I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to do the whole series. I might just start with a few and see if people like it. And and, and I've recorded some of them. I, I've got to do a some sound effect uh, stuff on them and, and, and some of that, some of those goodies just to fly in and, and some music and whatnot. But we're slowly kind of, slowly been building it. Um, and, and I, some of it is, is um, some of it is, if you listen to those old episodes, which are all available public, yeah, yeah. You know, public access online, um, you know, they talk, many of the characters, since it's only a few years after the Second World War, they're all talking, they sort of reference the war, oh, mm. so-and-so lost his money in the war, or things like that. And if that felt, that felt a little old, um, to do so, I decided um, uh, a little bit sardonically to just change it to a post-pandemic world where mm. somebody, somebody is referring to, well, the Baron lost all his money after the pandemic or during the, you know, and things yeah. like that. So, so it feels slightly more present day, but maybe just a little few years in the future. Uh, so it's not sci-fi or anything like that, because yeah. uh, it still has that noir tone to it, hopefully. But uh, we'll see how it goes. I see. So I'm, I'm, that's, I'm, I'm working on that a little bit too. So. Not to patronize you, um, but um, you're a talented guy, obviously, with various interests in, in other than book writing. But uh, having read your books over the years now, I guess it's been, what, nine years since the first book? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Your growth as a writer, and I've said this to you before, I don't know if I've done it publicly, but I'll do it now publicly. Your growth as a writer shows through. I mean, not to say that the first book was bad or the second, you know what I mean? But oh, I it, that, it, yeah. it, it, you really have this knack for it, and, and, and your growth as a writer has been marvelous to watch, and so I can't uh, uh, wish you enough success you. and, and uh, with this book especially, and I appreciate your time today. Thanks for this. Yeah, well, thanks very much, Joe. One hopes you get better at these things, uh, you know, so that, that, I don't take that as an insult at all, or, 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 or I appreciate the compliment, or I realize what you're saying. Yeah, you, you, one hopes, and, and it's something... You know, you realize you build up kind of a body of work after you do a few of these things, and, and hopefully, you know, some of the books connect with one another yeah. in some ways. That uh, that you know, you don't have to read one to get the other at all. But uh, there are little, there are these fun little crossovers that start to reveal themselves. That uh, 
that uh, hopefully as a writer you can do it. And, and as you know, this was a this was a tough book to write because of the complexity of the investigation. And mm-hmm. I'm wading into some areas of policing or the gay community or or sex trade work that are sensitive subjects. Uh, you know, in the back as they are then, but in so many many ways they are now in a new format, a new way. But uh, I'm hoping that people will who read the book will will uh, will find it uh, you know entertaining and. In that, in that way, or not just entertaining, but you know, informative in, in, in that way, that uh, that will be a happy read or interesting read for people. So we'll invite people to, to go to the penthouse December ninth. That's right. Yeah, and people can get a, a a copy of the book there. They'll be able to buy a copy of the book and get you to sign it. Right. That's right. Yeah. I hope I hope you can make it too, Joe. Indeed, indeed. Thanks for this, Aaron. Thanks, Joe. Take care. We'll see you soon. The Twitter handle for more is at the Aaron Chapman. The book is called Vancouver Vice Crime and Spectacle in the City's West End. It's published by Arsenal Pulp Press. Its author Aaron Chapman joined me on the line from here in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planta.